My name is Ricky Day, and this is Nothing to Lose But Yourself. What's going on, everybody? Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good night, good whatever it is. Just know that you are alive and well and you can hear the sound of my voice. So that that right there is enough to be grateful for. No, not the sound of my voice. The fact that you are alive to hear it. That's what I'm talking about. I'm a Leo, but I'm not that self-absorbed. Come on now. How y'all doing? I hope everybody is well. I hope you're having an amazing day. Uh, Once again, my name is Ricky Day, and this is the podcast, Nothing to Lose But Yourself. We are really, really, really grateful and blessed to be alive, right? So let's lean into that. Let's uh, enjoy each other's company for the next hour or so. And uh, I got a good, good, good guest today. I can't wait to share with you. And we'll get into that in a moment. But before we do that, I just want to thank you as I always do. Thank you for following us on social media, nothing to lose but yourself on Instagram and on Twitter. Also following me personally, Ricky Day, R-I-C-K-Y-D-A-Y on Instagram and on Twitter. But most importantly, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, for sharing it with your friends, your family, your co-workers, your frenemies, your enemies, whoever. Just share with everybody so we can get the word about a word out about this little podcast that endeavors to change the world one conversation at a time. Well, today's episode is uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a really cool guest, an uh, amazing woman who I met very, very recently uh, through a good friend of mine, Fiona Bloom. Our guest today is Martha Diaz. Uh, our guest today on the podcast is a community organizer. She's a media producer, a curator, a social entrepreneur. Martha and I chat about her childhood as a latchkey immigrant kid in Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, we talk about the moment she fell in love with hip hop and her lifelong love of the culture. We dive deep into how hip hop was instrumental in helping her form identity as a woman an artist, an educator, and a human being, and the many ways that she has worked to preserve and celebrate the culture, as well as her efforts to champion it as a critical tool for the education of our young people. It's really kind of fascinating. Uh, Martha is a dynamic, passionate, compassionate, and engaged fan of hip-hop who uses it to make the world a better place. She's also a filmmaker, and you know, I love film, and I love people who make films, and so this is going to be a fun conversation with somebody who's a passionate fan of hip-hop, but also a wonderful human being. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Martha Diaz. Colombian-American futurist Martha Diaz is a seasoned uh, community organizer, media producer, archivist, curator, educator, and social entrepreneur. Uh, She has traversed uh, the hip hop and entertainment industry, the public arts and education sector and the academy over the last 25 years. Her passion is advancing human rights and transforming communities through hip hop education, media and technology. Martha has produced and consulted on numerous hip-hop media projects, including Where My Ladies Act, uh, Black August, the hip-hop concert by Dream Hampton, and Nas, Time is Omatic by uh, 1-9, which uh, came out in 2014. In 2002, uh, Martha founded the highly acclaimed hip-hop odyssey, H2O International Film Festival, the first festival of its kind. Uh, She curated the first hip-hop movie series presented by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and served as a guest curator at the Museum of the Moving Image and Schomburg Center. Through her publications of research, uh, reports, books, and curricula, she has chronicled hip-hop history to preserve its cultural value and memory. In 2010, Martha launched the Hip-Hop Education Center for Research, Evaluation, and Training at New York University, and she is currently the chair of Archives, Curatorial, and Educational Affairs at the Universal Hip-Hop Museum and she's a senior civic fellow at the University of Southern California Annenberg Innovation Lab. Whew, that's a mouthful. I'm tired just reading her bio. So she's clearly a demon worker. She works hard and she is committed. I am very happy to welcome to the podcast, Martha Diaz. Hey, Martha, how are you? What's up, Ricky? How you doing? Good. So good to see you. So now the first thing I have to say is I'm looking at 
all of that in your bio. And that was the shortened version of it, by the way, you guys. And we do these interviews on Zoom. So I'm looking at Martha and I'm doing the math on the bio. And then I'm looking at the picture staring back at me at the screen. And I'm like, there's no way you're doing all that without being over 40. And uh, she's looking about 25. So I'm real confused. And I'm not going to ask a lady her age. I won't go there. But you're doing something right, Martha. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Ricky. You know, I'm I'm actually I'm proud to say my age. I am over 50 and um, I can't believe how fast time has uh, just passed by. You know, um, I just take care of myself. I think hip hop, the energy mm-hmm. of hip hop, the spirit of hip hop keeps me young. And, um, you know, so I'm not ashamed. I'm proud. I wear it. That's that. Well, I'm glad that you're proud to wear it. And I, I feel the same way. I remember listening to Wendy Williams, I think it was a few years ago, quite some time ago, actually. And she was talking to Monifa, a friend of mine. And oh my goodness, it was so funny. She was asking Monifa her age and Monifa told her and Wendy said, OK, is that your real age or your industry age? And Monifa's answer was so profound. It's never left me. It's, as a matter of fact, it's when I started telling the truth about my age. Monifa said, listen, where I came from. Most people didn't live to get to my age. I am not going to diss the blessing of being alive by lying about my age. I am MFing such and such years old. And that was that. And I was like, you know what? I will never fudge my age again. So welcome to the over 50 crowd. We're having fun. We're good. We're good. Um, So the new, the the new 50 is, what is it? The, the new 50. It's the 25. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I don't do none of that. I just know that I'm glad that I'm alive. I'm blessed that I got the gene pool that I got and I'm going to rock with it and I'm going to do what I need to do to protect it. And other than that, it's in God's hands. Um, And time is short. So it is, it does make sense to do what you're doing, following your passions and contributing in all the ways that you can. Um, So your bio says you're Colombian American. Tell me a little, uh, tell my listeners and I a little bit about your background, where you grew up and, and, and what your background is. Um, hmm. Well, I am the first generation Colombian to be born in the United States from my family. And, um, you know, both sides, my father and my mother, um, the seed that uh, was planted here in the States. And I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey. I was born in Hackensack, New Jersey, raised in Patterson and uh, without any family members. So I was... uh, you know, uh, without cousins, uncles, aunties, and my mom uh, left my dad before I was one years old, and she didn't know how to speak English. She left Hackensack, ended up in Patterson, and um, she worked all the time to provide for me, and then later remarried um, when I was eight. But I pretty much grew up with a single mom who taught me all about work, work, work. And that's, I think, where I got this workaholism. Workaholism, yeah, is that? That's, that's, that's about right, workaholism. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, um, you know, it, it, uh, it gave me that work ethic. And because my mom didn't speak English, and I didn't have anyone really checking my homework. I, I, I spoke Spanglish most of the time. And I was illiterate in both English and in Spanish. Oh, wow. And so I grew up in public schools. Um, and Patterson, at the time that I was in high school, was during the 80s where uh, we had the most violence. We were one of the top 10 uh, violent cities in the country. Joe Clark was um, the principal of Eastside High School. You know, with that yeah. movie, Lean, you you know depicted the what was going on. Joe Clark from the uh, the movie Lean on Me, right? Lean gotcha. on Me, and um, you know, and I and I was really quiet. I was home alone quite a bit. I was a latchkey kid. Until I discovered hip hop around 10 years old and it changed my life. That's amazing. First of all, your mother sounds like an amazing woman. She's an immigrant with a child in a country 
whose language she doesn't speak, and in New Jersey, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shout out to my New Jersey people. My, my best friends from New Jersey I always have Jersey jokes. but And she still said, this ain't working for me. I'm going to leave and do what I need to do on my own, and I'll figure it out and raise my daughter. Wow. That's, yeah. My uh, mom was very brave, and um, God rest her soul. I, I just lost her a few years ago, and... She taught me, you know, not to be scared, to go for mine, to never settle. And, you know, she was a a blue collar worker. You know, she worked in a factory and I remember she worked for Ford Motor Company and she retired early because an engine fell on her. She used to work the assembly line, putting engines. And yeah, she was she was amazing. That's amazing. And it's, you know, that's not the focus of the interview, but I'm so glad you told that story and we brought that up because when people, particularly on the right wing side of things, when you talk about immigrants, they, they, they paint this horrific picture of who immigrants are and they're coming to steal your jobs and steal your country and there are these animals. These, no, these are human beings quite often fleeing very difficult circumstances, quite often circumstances that our country helped to create in the first place. And they're just looking for a a better life and an opportunity to raise their families and to be part of something that in their mind anyway is greater than that that they came from. And these are very human stories. And wow, what a a great story. What what a great story. Um, Bless her soul. Um, That must have been tough to lose her. I would imagine your bond was incredible. Oh, my God. It, you know, and she she retired and moved back to Colombia to be with her family, her sisters, mm-hmm. um, because many of our family members are still there. Um, only a handful made it this way mm-hmm. and um, because of my mother. And she had a stroke in the middle and at night and I was in California and my brother called me and he never called me because we don't have that type of tight relationship calls me at 11 o'clock at night i'm like what it's two o'clock in the morning in in jersey i said oh oh, my mom i picked up that phone and i fell out i felt i just lost the soul her her spirit left mine when i heard the news and and it took me two days to grab my one daughter in california the other daughter in new york to go to colombia three flights and I finally ended up there. And um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard not to be there for her, mm-hmm. you know, those last moments. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you can't replace a mother's love, but at the same time, she lives inside you. I mean, that workaholic, that strength, you being a mother now, she, she's there inside you. And, and she knew, and, you know, she's got, she had to feel great about it because look what you've become based on the sacrifices that she, she made. So kudos to her. Um, you know, it wasn't always, like, she didn't always understand me. Like, she was like, what are you doing, Martha? Like, because I decided I wasn't going to work in a factory, mm-hmm. you know? I'm not going to, I'm not going to work, you know, in a, in a, in, in a factory because I'm going to college. I'm going to go do something else. And then when I got into hip hop, she was like, what is this? You're working in music. What, what is this? I don't want. <laughs> and then she, you know, she, my mother, she is a woman of color, was a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Right. But she never liked to say she was black. And she was like, well, oh, you want to be black? Is that what you want? You know, like with hip hop, I was like, no, we're all one color. We're all one. And I was trying to help her understand hip hop culture is not about colors, about unity and love. And, and then right before she moved back to Colombia, she never attended any of my events. But the Nas Time is Omatic movie screening at the Schomburg, she came and I couldn't believe it. It was like, oh. Never. She, you know, so she came, she saw the movie, she met Oludara, Naz's father. Mm-hmm. And she said, Martha, I understand. I understand now. I love it. And now, and then when she went to Colombia, she was talking about me and pr- with pride. Yeah. But it wasn't always like that. She was, she thought I was a crazy child. 
Yeah, like, as parents often do, because, you know, they want the best for us, but their reality and their definition of best does not necessarily match ours. My, I mean, my grandmother and I were incredibly close. I mean, if you ever saw the fe- feature film Soul Food, the uh, young boy and his grandmother, I, that was our relationship. I was the first grandchild, super close. Uh, but she would always talk to me about my uncles and their jobs in factories and how they worked for the same company for 20 years and this, that, and the third. And I remember looking at her, and this is the first time I realized <laughs> that I might be same gender loving too, because I just remember looking at her one day and I was like, girl, that is not going to be my journey. First of all, I'm not standing in anybody's factory. I mean, that's cool. I respect it, but that's not my path. Nah. She's like, but what is art? And what is this? What are you doing? And I was like, I trust me. You raised a smart person. I'm going to figure it out. But that ain't the path. Um, You know, when we first met, I asked you a question and your answer really spoke volumes about who you are. I said, uh, Martha, who are you at your core? And uh, I just want you to share with listeners who you who you feel you are at your core. Man, at my core, I'm just someone who is aware of the world and just wants to contribute what I can to make it better. Um, You know, that that's the the short version. Um, But, yeah, I just I'm someone who just wants to. Add to the growth of humanity, you know, I am very conscious of the problems that exist. And, you know, I'm a problem solver. I, I love to figure out how to change uh, things and make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading, I was listening actually to Brene Brown's podcast, and she had spoken to this woman in Priya Parker. And Priya Parker was sharing a story. She focuses on the art of gathering and how and why we come together as human beings. And in the midst of the conversation, she shared a she shared an anecdote about her mom and uh, her mom saying that, you know, it's really important to recognize the issue that exists in your family, the community, the world, whatever it may be. And to look at your gifts and understand and, and sense how you might contribute to addressing a need that you see see around you and your life and career from what I've seen so far and read about so far in our brief conversation really kind of speaks to that. It looks like you have these passions and you've employed those passions to deal with issues and concerns uh, around you. You know, another question I ask you about, and it's pretty obvious to anybody who's even heard this much of this interview is, I uh, ask you what you're most passionate about. And when I spoke to you and I read your bio, it becomes very clear very quickly that you are most passionate without a doubt about hip hop. Uh, when did you just, when did you first fall in love with hip hop and, and how, how, what was that like? Yes. Well, you know, I was, I was at home all the time. I would go, you know, to school and straight home. And one day my friend said, won't you, you know, stay after school and check out the battles. And I was like, oh my God, there's going to be a fight. I wasn't even sure the lingo. <laughs> I, I just didn't know. And she's like, no, no, they're going to dance. And and at the time it was the real deal. Cardboard boxes, you mm-hmm. know, on the floor, people spinning on their heads. And I was blown away. Were, I could not believe it. And you were 10 years old at the time? I was 10 years old. Got it. Okay. And it's funny, I have a, a passport picture of, of me, I think I might have been 11 years. I was 11 years old because my first time I went to Colombia was 12 years old and I had to get a passport. Mm-hmm. And so at 11, I'm taking this picture with my uh, a sweatshirt with my name, you know, the, 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 the iron on letters. Oh, yeah. So I had Martha and I remember going to the shop and I designed my own um, sweatshirt with my little Playboy bunny, you know, and it was just <laughs> like that was. I was all in hip. So it took a year. I was all in. And, um, you know, we, I met uh, the dancers. I met the graffiti artists. Um, they were, we didn't have a DJ, but we had the boom boxes that were, you know, there. And my, I was so corny with my clothes. I had to change everything up. I had to get fly sneakers. And I just found my tribe. I found family. I found people who were, sort of like the outcast and I felt like I was part of that that tribe and um and then the music just just helped me open my eyes 
to um, the world and help me understand and read the world. And as I, um, you know, I remember going roller skating. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. back then, it, you know, roller skating was the thing to do on the weekend. So I remember after that, I got invited to roller skating rings and I was dancing and the music and it was just, it just took over my, my, my life. And I knew that I was going to, I was forever changed, but I was also going to do something. I somehow I knew that this power of music to help me, a shy immigrant girl, open up. Yeah. I knew I was going to do something. It gave me the the agency to just figure out a role in this world. Mm-hmm. And that's when, yeah, around 10 years old, that's, that's when it happened. Yeah, that's amazing. I, f- I remember those days well and cardboard and dancing in the streets. And I, was, I grew up in California, so we'd start pop locking and stuff first. Uh, and then we kind of get into more of the hip hop culture, um, culture and DJing and MC. I remember seeing Ice-T rapping in backyard parties. Uh, oh, my God, I, I can go on forever about those stories. Um, and that's what's been interesting to me while watching the evolution of the culture. It's been amazing to see it be exported around the world and become this multi-billion dollar industry and all that stuff's amazing. Uh, but the love and the camaraderie and the sense of community and so many of those amazing elements, a lot of them are still there, but it's also kind of been co-opted by capitalism a little bit. And the culture doesn't seem as loving as it once was. And those of you listening, don't worry, I'm not going to go into the old man ramp about hip hop not being <laughs> as cool as it was then. I mean, things change, they ebb, they flow, they grow. But those were definitely the golden days and they were amazing. Um, you know, so many of us too grew up watching, you know, uh, hip hop as it finally made it to television and BET and then the underground hip hop shows there. And then MTV, yo MTV raps. Uh, I remember that well, when we finally got cable and I could watch MTV, which was not a, was not a done deal for young black people back in the day. Cause we didn't necessarily have cable at the time. Parents couldn't afford it. But I remember finally getting cable and being able to watch young, yo MTV raps and being like, Oh my God, this is my channel. This is my show. Now you ended up working as an intern on that show. How, how old were you and how did that come about? And what was that experience like? Must've been amazing. Yes. Well, you know, it's funny. You mentioned that I I didn't have cable (laughs) when I started working at MTV. I had never seen your MTV raps and I got the gig while I was a student at Fairleigh Dickinson university. Um, I, I was 19 years old, Mm -hmm. 19 going on 20 something like that I think 20 20 years old 20 years old and prior to that I had uh, other internship experience I knew that um because when I went to school fairly Dickinson I wanted to be a biochemist I wanted to learn uh, how to cure cancer and then I changed once I figured out that it was too complicated I changed my major to um astrology or astronomy because I wanted to be a a astronaut and then that didn't work out and then I said okay I'll be a bounty hunter because I you know I'm gonna catch the criminals (laughs) how did you get the bounty hunter from astronomer I know I I, I'm telling you my imagination is wild and so but then I took a course called the right to know Mm -hmm. and this course just opened my eyes to to understand understanding how media plays a role in programming us and telling us you know the news whether it's fake news real news whatever it just programs us and i just i became infatuated with media and wanted to become a filmmaker and producer and so i took on some internships and i landed the MTV, Yo MTV Raps gig. And at the time, I was the first one at Fairleigh Dickinson to inter- to intern at Viacom, so they made a big deal out of it. Mm. But when I went to uh, the interview, I met with Penny Mac and Jack Benson. And at the time, I didn't even know uh, that Doug Herzog, the producer of Yo MTV Raps, was from Patterson, New Jersey. And so was Jack Benson. So it was a coincidence. And I was just, I started working there as 
the intern and Ted Demi, who was the founder and director of the show, took a liking to me because he saw how hard I worked. And he was like, hey, you know, when do you graduate? And I, I started there January. And in March, he asked me, when do you graduate? I said, in May. He said, do you want to work for me? And I said, yes, 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 yes. So by the, before I graduated, I, I had a job. It took three months to get um, hired at MTV. And Ed Lover and Dr. Dre and Fat Five Freddy were my teachers. They were my big brothers. And I just loved working there. It was like a huge history lesson for me to learn from the artists themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we did a lot of production out in the street, man on the street with, with Fab. And of course, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre with all the packages we, we produced always had a hip hop history in, in the, uh, in the promos. So it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's fascinating. Any favorite moments from that experience? Any interesting stories? Oh my God. I, I don't know. There's so many. I mean, we went, when we took over spring break, cause you know, MTV those, had their spring break, but then those spring breaks were off the chain. Yes. When we took over spring break down in Florida and all the hip hop artists came, it was like the best family time party we had. Um, so definitely that's one of my favorite. And then I guess, um, it's hard to say they're, they're yeah. all good all the artists that came through were just wonderful we caught them right before they blew up and became you know super famous they were already famous but then they blew up to the point that you know Queen Latifah became an actress and right. Will Smith became actor you know and yeah. Ice-T all of them and Pac we had we had Tupac there you know just right before his first well during well, right before his first role, Juice, because he was with Digital Underground, so mm -hmm. we got to see a lot of the artists in their first, you know, yeah. uh, their genesis. Rest in peace, Shock G. We just lost him. Oh my God! Yes, we lost Shock G. <laughs> yeah, being from California, those you know they all hit hard, but those hit me a little hard. I remember when Tupac uh, was killed, and that, that was we were just standing there in shock and. I didn't hear about Shock G the other day. I was just like, oh my God, what's going on? And these are people that aren't much younger or older than I am. So it's like, what's going on? But that's that's, that's life. That's why you lean into the moments that you get because you don't know how many you're going to get. Um, you know, you've got this wonderful passion for hip hop and this great career. And I know as a woman, it meant a lot to you to really highlight the contributions of women in hip hop. And you've done some uh, amazing things along and along those lines. Um, what are some of the platforms that still exist that you've been incorporate, you've been a part of and incorporated to really kind of tell the stories of women in the culture and what have been some of your experiences along the way, negative or positive? Yes. Well, you know, while I was at MTV, I started to see a change within the industry and I got disappointed because the videos changed, the music changed and um, women were really objectified mm -hmm. and we were no longer, you know, partners. Uh, we were, you know, the object, the sex object. And so I wanted to do something to bring back the respect and our place in hip hop culture. And so I've been um, developing different programming to highlight our contributions and give women their flowers before anything happens to them mm -hmm. and really acknowledge that hip hop has evolved and, and has grown because women are part of the culture. Men alone can't do this. You know, men, women are some, the muse of this culture. Mm -hmm. And so you see, you hear it in the lyrics, you, you, you know, hear it in, um, in, in, in the music. And so I wanted to do something to, preserve our legacy because we've even encountered erasure where they don't just they just don't acknowledge us at all and so i've created a um a fresh bold and soul deaf initiative mm -hmm. that um has many parts there's a education component for the younger women who just 
don't know and and younger girls and boys that don't know the history of women in hip hop mm-hmm. and for the scholars who want to do research they now have information um from firsthand accounts from women that are still alive and are telling their stories we're developing a anthology of stories that um that highlight the good, the bad, the ugly, because although we love hip hop, right, we've been victims of disrespect. And um, I know myself, I've been called a bitch. I've been spat at. I've been, you know, um, groped, you know, all kinds of things have happened to me and to so many of us, but we never get to talk about it. We never get to heal from it, right? Because if you don't talk about it, you're not going to heal from it. And even though we've gone through all of this, we are still there holding up the culture. And so we want our, 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 our seat at the table. You know, Absolutely. we want to be part of this. And so this initiative, Fresh, Bold, and Soul Deaf, has an archive component, an education component, and a ceremony that celebrates women in hip hop. Now, that's super important. It's, the erasure is real. Um, when you think about hip hop and you think about uh, particularly the roots of hip hop, people just don't talk about women's role in that very much at all. And I just remember some of the MCs I grew up with who I love the most. I mean, from Moni Love and Queen Latifah and, and th- those women were amazing. But then beyond that, the first hip hop label, or at least not if it wasn't the very first, one of the first Sugar Hill Records, Sylvia Robinson, a woman essentially was there at the beginning of hip hop and put out one the big the first big record for sure and so you can't forget those things and then even in you know contemporary culture you know when you look at tv shows like love and hip hop and stuff you've got mona scott doing her thing and her management and all the things she did and missy i mean you you can't tell this story without telling the story of the women and not just as muse but as tastemakers as contributors as mcs as djs spinderella i mean come on you can't it's just it's ridiculous and you do you do the culture a disservice by by not telling those stories. Um, you know, film seems to have been a difficult one in the beginning for hip hop to kind of crack into, but it eventually did. Um, and over the years, there's been some hit and miss opportunities and expressions, but it's had a rich history. Now, I know that you are the founder of the H2O International Film Festival. And I'm embarrassed to say that somehow I missed that. So tell not only my listeners, but me a little bit more about what that film festival was when you did it, because you did it some time ago, and, and what the history is of, been, of, of that so far. Yes. Well, as a filmmaker, because I left MTV and I started working for Ted Demi, we went to Hollywood and we produced a few films. And I really love the a documentary format mm-hmm. and I started um, documenting hip hop around the world. And, you know, I, this was after I was disillusioned with the in- industry that I was like, I'm leaving. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be an independent filmmaker and I'm going to document the history. And I remember the RZA was one of my producers. He gave me money so I can go out and do my thing. Mm-hmm. And I, started documenting and I had this little short film that was uh, premiered. It premiered at the um, Rush Arts Gallery. Ah. Karis One introduced it. It was for Hip Hop Appreciation Week and everybody loved it. It was like, oh my God, good job. You know, it was only 15 minutes long. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you're on your way as a filmmaker. And so I was sending it to different film festivals and this one film festival accepted it they called me and they were like oh we're gonna put it in our film festival and great job and blah 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 and then i got a a letter saying that sorry your film was not accepted and i went ballistic and i called them i said what's what's going on you know you called me you emailed me you said i was in what's the problem and they said well we got another film that you know is is just better and you know and i said what is it about and they said it's not even hip-hop it's you know it's urban it's about whatever basketball and i was like what i said okay thanks i said this will never happen again i'm gonna i'm gonna create my own hip-hop film festival so this will never happen to another filmmaker 
And so that's how it started. I decided that I would create my own platform and that I would only have hip hop filmmakers with that focus on hip hop culture. And so the first year, and this was in 2002, mm-hmm. um, I had 45 submissions. Second year, 65 submissions. Third year, 100 submissions. And it was huge. It was really growing quickly. And by the fifth year, I was burnt out. I was like, oh, I can't do this because <laughs> I did because although I wanted to do a film festival, I didn't know how to produce a film festival. I was going to Tribeca Film Festival and other film festivals to check out what they were doing. But that was, this wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to go back to school after five years to learn how to become a, an entrepreneur. And I'm actually a social entrepreneur because I'm not doing this to make money off the culture. I'm trying to sustain the culture. I'm trying to empower the culture. And so my focus on how to, how I make money is really, um, it leans towards the social entrepreneurial lens. Mm-hmm. And so this film festival was great. We honored um, filmmakers who captured the culture from Charlie Ahern to um, Ernest, Ernest Dickerson, Warrington Hudlin, the, you know, the, the Hudlin brothers. Yeah. And we honored the pioneers from, Africa Bambada, Cool Herc, and Cindy Campbell. Um, and um, Ice T came through, Anna Bella Sciorra. We had actors and, and Most Def, well, um, formerly known as Most Def, uh, Yasin Bey. Exactly. And so, yes. I was we, listening it, to Miss Fat Booty the other day. I love that song. That might be my favorite hip hop song of all time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So, you know, are you have any plans whatsoever to bring the film festival back? You know I'm going to bring it back. Next year, we celebrate our 20th anniversary of the film festival. And now that I'm at the Universal Hip Hop Museum, um, you know, I'm collaborating with them to bring a lot of the programming that I have um, placed in the back shelf. You know, um Fiona Bloom is going to help me produce it Mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to expand it from a film festival to a film and music festival. We're both, uh, Fiona and I are international uh, lovers of international hip hop. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of amazing global films. And um, so it should be, uh, should be a lot of fun. And I think that's what New York needs right now. We haven't had the film festival in, in, in a long time. And if, I mean, re- you have other film festivals, but they don't, they don't really represent the culture, the, the people, you know, from the community. And, um, and I, with the universal hip hop museum, I think it's, it's going to really um, provide a space for the community to gather together. Yeah, the the museum itself is something that I learned about through you as well. Tell us a little bit about the Universal Hip Hop Museum, where it is, when it opens, and yes, well, Rocky Bucano is the founder of the Universal Hip Hop Museum, which is being constructed in the South Bronx. Right now, we have a temporary space um, in the Bronx Terminal Market. Mm-hmm. Right across the street is the space where it's being built. And as a matter of fact, May 20th, we have a groundbreaking ceremony. Um, oh, great. So it's due to open in 2023 um, during the 50th anniversary of hip hop culture. And although it won't be complete, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to open up, open it up in phases. Mm-hmm. It will still be ready for us to celebrate this wonderful culture. That's and um, we have... You know, artists like Ice-T, Nas, Chuck D, Slick Rick, um, just like 30 artists who have committed to supporting this um, museum, the first museum dedicated to hip hop culture. And it's been a labor of love. I know Rocky's been working on it for 10 years. I started maybe helping him out six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And now I am the director of education. I've 
taken my center that I started at N- uh, NYU 10 years ago and I um, merged with the museum so that we could start a education department. And so that's where the film festival will live in that department. That's wonderful. I want, and I wanted to shift gears to, I want to talk about education a little bit because education has been really near and dear to your heart, not only your own education, which you are a very, very well educated woman, but uh, on top of that, you've used education and hip hop in education to, to help young people. Tell me a little bit about that journey. And then I want to touch base about um, your, your education center that you founded at NYU. Cause I think it's fascinating. It's a fascinating story. And I think it's super important. I want as many educators to hear about it, know about those resources as possible. So let's kind of start with, I mean, your journey into education and using hip hop in it. How, how did that start for you? What was the germination of that? The journey began when I was growing up, you know, uh, as a, as a immigrant student, I was very quiet and shy. I didn't speak English properly. And I just, I just, was invisible to the to the teachers and it wasn't until fifth grade when they realized that I was an English language learner and um and I knew that if if a, t- if a teacher would have just had a conversation with me she probably would have learned that I like art and that I like music and maybe she would have engaged me a little bit better and because hip-hop culture did that for me, you know, after school, I wanted to bring hip hop culture in the classroom so that we can engage students and increase their academic achievements. Because what education needs to do, educators need to do, is really customize education. Students should be given a curriculum based on their own interests and skill set. And so I use hip hop education as a way to help those marginalized students, those um, at risk, so-called at risk students, mm-hmm. and just bring them back and help them see their strengths so that they could do better. And, you know, it's not just education alone. The hip hop comes with a culture right it's a culture so it's yes we're going to teach you but the 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 bonds that you build with the community the network that you have that social capital allows you to get jobs and allows you to um to be part of a cipher a community and and i think that sense of feeling lonely and outcast as an immigrant um, it was filled with hip hop culture. That void was really um, taken away once I found my tribe, like I said. Right. No, and that's important too, because the other thing I think it does is it probably helps kids start to get a sense of their identity, who they are in the deepest part of themselves as their authentic selves. I mean, the reason I, again, I'd say this all the time, but the reason I started the podcast is because I think if we can get to know who our authentic selves are, embrace who we are at our core as our authentic selves, and then, of course, love our authentic selves, then for so many of us, it reduces uh, the need or the temptation to diminish other people in an effort to feel better about who we are. I think that's where white, uh, white supremacy comes from and racism and sexism. All those things come from this deep lack of sense of self, this 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 thought that you're not enough and somehow to feel better about yourself, you're going to make somebody else feel worse about who they are and try to diminish them. And so hip hop culture and these kinds of things being brought into the classroom can certainly help children get a sense of who they are in the communities that they live in and start to form that sense of self, which then can of course uh, help them along the way in education. So you're at NYU. What were you studying at NYU at the time and, and how did you get to forming this education center there? So I went back to NYU. Well, I went back to school mm-hmm. at almost 40 years old, you know, after, you know, producing the film festival. And I am figuring out what am I doing wrong? I am pr- producing the number one event in New York City at the time, even though that's arguable. But, um, you know, I, I, I have all, 
I'm community organizing, you know, I'm bringing the best of the best together and they're volunteering. I'm making some money, but why isn't this sustainable? So I start doing research and I discovered that there wasn't anything, any reports that showed our impact in the community. And I said, aha, uh-huh, this is it. There is no research around hip hop culture. And yes, people have written about the, the power of hip hop for community development, education, you know, music, uh, But there was nothing about how hip hop transforms communities and transforms lives. And even some of the organizations that were were with a million that had a million dollar budget, they Mm -hmm. weren't even releasing any information on how their programs were making an impact. So I decided I was going to create a center because we needed one. So I teamed up with Dr. Pedro Noguera who is a sociologist and he took me under his wing. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't, you know, cause I was doing research, PhD level research, but I didn't have a PhD. And I said, I know I don't have a PhD, but you teach me how to do research and I can do it. And pretty much he sh- shared with me how to conduct a national scan and we discovered that there were over 300 programs in schools, in after-school programs, in correctional facilities, in faith groups, in summer camps. I was blown away by all of the programming. And I, I decided that this, this report was just going to be the beginning. And I've done other um, research, like comparing cities that use hip-hop. For, for example, the Annie Casey Foundation gave us funds to to research San Antonio, Baltimore, Maryland, and Providence, Rhode Island. And out of those three cities, which city do you think um, supports hip-hop education the most? I'm going to guess the least likely one, Providence, Rhode Island. That's right. Providence, Rhode Island. Their community understands and values hip-hop culture and they put the money behind it so that more students can have programs in the community and san antonio the artists were working out of garages Mm -hmm. Um, they didn't have connections to schools or nonprofits. and in baltimore there was a mix of both where there was some support, but artists, teaching artists were kind of working in silos. They weren't working with the hip hop scholars in academia and the nonprofits were elsewhere. And so it was very interesting to see, to map out how hip hop is being used in different states. And um, I've always imagined hip hop being integrated as a, a, as a subject that needs to be studied, mm-hmm. either whether it's in history, right? The, it should be taught in, as part of history, but also it's it's its own subject, right? So it could be uh, taught for in music. It could be taught in you know as a as a hook. It could be taught um, as as uh, its own artistic expression through mm-hmm. music and art. And, and so I have made it my goal to to try to professionalize the field. And I bring together seasoned practitioners to create standards and to figure out what is it going to take? What's it going to take for us to get recognized within education and um, even make hip hop a national holiday? Like we have the Jazz History Month, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, why can't we have a hip hop history month? Yes, you know, Zulu Nation um, helped create um hip hop history month for november but that's not recognized by the federal government we need the our government to recognize hip hop as a national treasure right and so um so that that's what i do and and right now i'm proud to say that california has stepped up and is the first state to uh to create an initiative to recruit hip hop teaching artists into the classroom and to build relationships with vendors, hip hop vendors, whether they're studios or people with equipment 
and, and technology, mm-hmm. they are now uh, they have a, a, a grant that they're giving to certain um, schools. And this is the first step in really standardizing or professionalizing hip hop. That's great, Martha. I don't, I don't doubt for a second that you'll be successful in your goals uh, to professionalize it and to get it standardized across the country because your passion uh, reigns true. And then you're doing the work, you know what I mean? You're doing the work in terms of education. You're doing the work in terms of networking and connecting the dots. And it's really amazing to see. And you really, you know, for me, you're another example of how important it is to get a sense of who you are on the inside as a person, what drives you, what are your passions and what are your gifts? And you've figured out, it seems, how you can use those to serve other people. And I think that's really the key for so many of us. I mean, I I was just so happy when Fiona connected us after I started reading and diving into your background to really understand who you are. It was just, I was excited about talking to you. She's a living, breathing example of why I'm doing this podcast. These are the kinds of conversations I want to to have because there's people out there now that are working in a dead-end job or in in, in a marriage that's going to end, but they're wondering what they're going to do next. And what to do next quite often is to go inside yourself and figure out what it is you have as your gifts and your passions and who you are to love that person. And then to take those things and look at a need, find a need in the world that you can address with your individual gifts and, and be able to do that. I mean, I'm convinced that we're all here for a reason. You ain't here if you don't have a purpose. And once you figure out what that purpose is, just to lean into it the way you did. So it's, it's super inspiring. And I'm just grateful to you. And I think a lot of kids who don't even know who you are will someday be very grateful to you for what you're doing to, for them and their education and, and helping them along. So, and you know, when you when were talking about uh, identity formation, yes, you know, for, for many of us, hip hop is the first is is the first time when we listen to hip hop music is the first time we learn about ourselves right in our world i i like i said i grew up without any family members so i didn't know anything about colombia mm-hmm. um and i didn't learn anything about i didn't have heroes that i was looking up to but when i learned when i listened to krs1 or public enemy you know i was learning about people who were, they risked their lives to make this world a better place. And mm-hmm. I think that that really affected me and how I um, saw myself and, and, and how I developed my identity. You know, I don't have, there, there are no activists in my family, mm-hmm. no one who is a teacher. There is uh, no one who's a, into music. I'm the first in my family and, and it was hip hop culture that um, allowed me to try something new. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned those two names because honestly, you know, I never really thought about it that deeply until right now, but KRS-One and really Chuck D and, and Public Enemy, they were the first time, and I'm, I'm a nerd. I'm like a straight A student. I'm that guy. It's obnoxious, but that's who I am. But they were the first time in my life where it started, I started to think about, wait a second, I think I might need to question the things that I've been taught and do a deeper dive. And I think that's why hip hop has been so scary to so many people in the establishment, because they're worried about opening our minds and having us start to think for ourselves. And uh, they've definitely inspired that in me. And I've been doing that ever since I'm in seminary now and I'm questioning half the stuff that they're teaching us there. I'm like, um, the Bible doesn't say this. A bunch of old men at this conference decided that this was the case. Hold up. And mm-hmm. that all that whole line of thinking, all that stuff, questioning and unearthing things, really started with you know inspiration from Chuck D and from KRS-One, um, which leads me to, I don't want to sound like a bunch of old people you know, complaining or whatever, but that does speak to this moment that I th- we think we find ourselves in now because hip-hop really did serve that role in the beginning. It was self-expression for so many of us. It was a way to bond and build community. All that was important. Uh, and it also was something that helped us to learn to think for ourselves and to question. And absolutely, at the beginning with NWA and those guys, uh, it was about this is what's going on in the streets. This is what they're telling you in the news, but this is what's going on in our lives. We need you guys to look at this. Pay attention to us. They're shooting us. They're doing this to us. But then somewhere along the way, 
I think the questioning and the morality and some of that stuff kind of went out the window and just became this celebration. In many ways, of some of the worst things about our culture, we've started to become idolaters and, and worship money and worship things other than building ourselves and, and caring for ourselves. Where, where do you net out there? And I don't care. I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care if they think I'm an old person preaching to them, but I have some concerns about where we are in, in the culture and, and how we can find some balance at least. I think everybody's voice is valid and we should be able to tell different kinds of stories, but it seems like one story is being told and it's a capitalist, misogynistic pleasure story. What, what, what are your thoughts about that, Martha? It is. I mean, you know, hip hop, we're making money. You know, there's a lot of money in hip hop right now and people are enjoying it. Um, you know, they're, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. Right. Yes. But of course, the media only focuses on one thing. And mm -hmm. I think we're really quick to blame hip hop, but it isn't really our fault because the media is what the media decides to promote. And yes, you know, let's say Jay-Z, you know, is making, he's a billionaire now, right? Mm -hmm. And he, you see him with his champagne bottles, you see him with his, his, his boob, Beyonce, Queen Beyonce, yeah. you know, you see him riding planes, private planes and seeing all of that, but you don't, hear too much of all of the charity, all of the work that he's done. Like he helped create reform that um, organization with Meek Mill to reform the social justice, uh, the correctional, mm -hmm. the, you know, yes. uh, criminal justice and criminal, criminal justice mm -hmm. system. Um, he started a school at Long Island University, Rock Academy. Okay. Yeah. He's given millions away so has Beyonce. But again, that's not what the media is covering. So part of it is that we have to do our due diligence and do and dig for re, for the truth before, you know, it was more it was easier to find. Now there's a lot of noise. The Internet is just so busy. It's hard to find the truth. But these artists are giving back. Now, the younger artists only have only seen one way. And so they think, and this is part, you know, the record labels fault too, mm -hmm. because they're the ones who are signing these artists and not giving them the right guidance. Like we used to have. And so they're seeing the only way to make money is to sensationalize the certain type of lyrics in the music. And so they just want to get paid too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, there's a, a pattern there that's always happened within hip hop. Now we have artists like Rhapsody. We have artists, even J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar, Chance the Rapper. Um, there's, a, I mean, and those are the ones that I guess that are more popular because, you know, they've won, like Kendrick has won Grammys mm -hmm. and J. Cole has, hasn't won a Grammy, but he's doing his, Thing. He's selling millions of records, but there are underground artists that are just wonderful. They're doing their thing, but nobody promotes them. They're selling records. Mm -hmm. They've learned how to use their platform. And now you have people like Steve Stout who created United Masters yeah. so that they can do, they can be their own labels. That's they can exciting. Create yeah, I'm, yeah. Exci I'm excited about what he's doing with that. That looks, that really sounds like a great idea. And he's a great businessman. So I don't doubt that he'll find a way to be successful. No, I, I, you're right about that. Well, so there are avenues, right? But for, for new artists to go and, 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 and be positive and do, and, and, and do what they want to do. But the media is not covering it. The record labels are not signing them. So there is a big gap. And I see what's promising is that, you know, we have Diddy with Revolt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're buying up media outlets. And I think that we, if we do more of that, we might be able to balance things out. Yeah, I, I really, I really hope so. And again, I, I love these kids and I love the music too much to, to, 
propose to tell them what to do or how to do it, but it'd just be nice to see more diversity uh, in expression so we can get you know a little bit of all of it uh, as opposed to being focused in one area so so much. Because you know when you think about it, during the election, for instance, uh, when a number of hip-hop artists came out and supporting Donald Trump and people were like, how could they? They're sellouts, whatever. And I'm like, so I need you to think about something for a second. And they're like, what? I'm like, Take away the fact that he's an old white man. Take away the racism. Close your eyes. Give him a mixtape. There ain't that much difference between him and a lot of these artists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Focus on self. Money trumps everything. Integrity doesn't matter. Me, me, me. It's really not that different. So it wasn't that big of a surprise. Or disappointing, maybe. Surprising. Absolutely not. And so I think, again, the diversity and expression can really kind of mute some of that. So every, you get all the, you know, you get the political guys and you get the, uh, the sisters that are about female empowerment and you get uh, the Cardi B's, who I think is amazing and fun. I mean, you just, diversity and expression, that's all I, I want to see. Give our kids, you know, some options to look at and, and, and some ways to, to move in this world. You know, you've been amazing and you've done a lot and you've been a lot of places and and you're so passionate about your contributions to the world. I'm so curious. um, What do you think of the world as it is today? And what's your vision for the world you'd like to see going forward? Well, the world today is a work in progress and we have to change our lifestyle we have to change how we see things and it's really hard because even people my age my peers are not are, are are uncomfortable with the change but we have to we have to change like yeah we we don't like to be on a diet and stop drinking soda but do you want to die of diabetes like what what is your choice here like you you have to do the right thing and I just recently started being vocal. I was very, like I said, quiet and just, I've always been like that. I like to be a worker bee, but now I'm speaking up. Now I'm saying, hey, I exist. And look, this is another way of doing things. And I think that more people need to speak up and be part of the change. The vision for the future is that we heal from our traumas, that we heal from the pain, you know, because we didn't even talk about some of the, the stuff that I saw growing up, you know, which mm-hmm. really made made an impression on me. And still I am I'm feeling because no one should go through violence. No one should uh, be abused. And so I think that we have to all of us have to come together to heal and put ourselves in other people's shoes and we have to take care of one another it's not right to have homelessness it's not right to charge for water it's not right you know to to have people starving Mm -hmm. and and not just here in the united states because we're good what's happening around the world is so unfair and so what i hope is that we're going to wake up as the best country Right with the most money and so-called uh, best uh, leaders to come up and embrace the rest of the world and lift everyone up. And I know that hip hop culture is part of the solution. I know we can do it. We've done it. We we it that the voice of the voiceless has always been heard through hip hop culture. We're the ones that are inspiring kids and giving hope to all the kids in the world. That's what gave me a chance to survive. I don't know what I would have been, you know, where I would be today if it wasn't for hip hop. Cause I think I would have, I don't know. I know I wouldn't have been the leader that I am today. Mm-hmm. Cause I could have probably still be quiet, you know, and reserved and not taking a chance to be, to live in the world. Right. Well, thank you so much, Martha. You keep 
living in this world, please. <laughs> Keep being Martha Diaz and living your authentic life as your authentic self and using your gifts to serve others the way you are because it really is making a difference and it will continue to make a difference. And I'm, I'm actually inspired. This is like a really great conversation. And I think you might have made me fall in love with hip hop all over again. Oh, that's sweet. Yes, I love it. It really is. Thank you so much, Martha Diaz. One last thing for you. Um, the Universal Hip Hop Museum, uh, do they need or are taking donations? If so, yes. how do people how do people support? Yes, please go to uhhm.org and you will find a donation button. We are looking for volunteers. You can also email me at martha at uhhm.org. And uh, yes, support hip hop education. We will absolutely do that. Martha Diaz, thank you so much. Martha Diaz, what a great, what a great conversation. What a great person. What a warm, warm soul. Martha is a great example of somebody who figured out who she is at her core and figured out the things that she's passionate about, chief among them, hip-hop, and found a way to take her gifts, take her passions, identify need that exists in the world, and use those passions to, to service those needs. Use her love of the culture to lift the culture up, not only just in simple celebration of the culture, but as a tool to change life and make life a little different, a little easier for a whole other group of young people. That's a great lesson for all of us. Figure out who you are on the inside. Figure out what your gifts are. Figure out what you're passionate about. Identify the problems. Identify what's going on in the world and use your gifts to serve other people, to solve problems, to make life a little bit better for yourself and for the world. One conversation at a time, one gesture at a time, one expression of self at a time. If we all pick up our shovels and our brooms and sweep away the debris that we've uh, created in the world here and, and work together to build a little bit better world and a little bit better community and a bit better home and relationships with the people around us, we can and we will make a difference. But it ain't going to happen just talking about it. It ain't going to happen just wishing for it. We've got to get together and do the work. Do the work. I thank you guys so much. It is such a pleasure to be here with you every week. And uh, this week is no different. We thanks once again to Fiona Bloom for introducing me to Martha Diaz and Martha Diaz for coming to grace us with her presence. And of course, I thank you for joining us, for listening in and uh, sharing this podcast with all your friends, your family, your loved ones, your frenemies and everybody else who will listen to you. Uh, and within the sound of your voice or the uh, reach of your keyboard. Once again, my name is Ricky Day. This is uh, the podcast. Nothing to lose but yourself. We are available on Apple Podcasts and all the uh, major po podcast platforms. So if your friends that you share it with don't have Apple Podcasts, tell them there's all kinds of ways to find us. They can go to the website, nothing to lose but yourself.com. And of course, please follow me on social media, Ricky Day, R I C K Y D A Y, and follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter, nothing to lose but yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoy your day. I hope you enjoy your week. And I hope you remain grateful for life itself because it is indeed a gift. And it's not something that you can live in the past or you can live in the future. You can only only live life right now in the gift of the moment of now. And you know, that moment is so precious. That's why it's called the present. It's a gift. So lean into it, love it, and do the most you can with it because we all know it's not guaranteed. My name again is Ricky Day. This is nothing to lose but yourself. And just know this as you go off to enjoy the rest of your day and your week. This man sitting on the other side of this microphone, who you don't know from Adam, more than likely. Despite all that, I love you. I truly do. Because you are a human being. You're a reflection of me, and I am a reflection of you. Have an amazing day. I love y'all.